And the text is from Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, and especially that sense of image and imagination. Congregation of Jesus Christ, we are looking at the Word of God this afternoon with our focus on the second commandment that says, do not make an image or an idol of anything to worship it. And just to remind you, we, we are looking at, at these commands in, in the light of our confession, which, which places them very correctly in the third part of the catechism, which is a, a thankful response to what God has done. So we looked last time at how that, that Ten Commandments, the law of God, is not in the first part where it, it, it would be our sinfulness that's in mind. And yeah, don't do this, don't do that. Though the law does remind us of our sin and teach us of our sin, it's not there. And it also does not appear in the second part of the commandment, our salvation. Oh, you are saved because you're keeping all the commandments. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's not how we are saved. We are saved by grace alone. And so it rightly appears here in the third part of the catechism as a guide to thankful living, a law that leads us in lives of humble gratitude and opens to us the way of salvation by God's grace and power. It's a huge contrast to the common understanding of God's word and the law. It takes that, that understanding of, of the Bible as, as rules. When, when you are at home, there are rules, of course, in our lives, there are rules we have to follow. There are rules in the society in terms of how we live with each other. Rules help structure our lives and our society and our living together with one another. And so in the home, there's rules. And, and at church and in, in, uh, in driving, there's all kinds of, of rules and regulations. And some suggest, too, this is from the Bible somehow, that, that somehow the Bible is all about rules and regulations. But imagine, imagine a world where there were no rules, where, where you were able to do what you wanted in the context of people doing what is right and good and loving. And so too, in the New Testament, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. It talks about love and joy and peace and patience. And it says, against those things, there is no law. And it's the, the working of the Spirit that leads in living rightly before God not in the sense of just obeying some cold and very arbitrary rules, but fully engaging. 
So the first point this afternoon is to just clarify, the Bible is not about rules, first of all. And already at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 2, God says to our first parents, Adam and Eve, in Genesis 2, verse 16, uh, you are free. It specifically says, you are free to be in the garden that I have made for you. And so there, there are not rules in the sense of in the garden, keep off the grass or don't litter because, because you are in, in harmony with God. You are, you are working in a trust relationship with him. And so God says, enjoy all the things I have made, recognizing I have made them, eat and taste and touch and, and work. You, you are free to do everything as you are serving me, as you are, are thankfully, gratefully living before me. So it's not a whole long list of rules. There is one concern, one specific thing, not a big thing, the trees you can enjoy, but leave the one alone for your own safety, for your own good. Imagine that. The minimal rules. You can enjoy the life, the work, the things that God gives you. The Bible does give some rules. Here, reading out of Exodus, you have the law in Exodus 20, absolutely, to protect and help people. But even 10 is very minimal. And you can see in our reading here in Exodus 32 how helpful the rules are in, in freeing people from the damage and the danger that otherwise in a fallen world would destroy them. And that's the thing. The, the laws, the commands, draw us back to God out of a sinful world and, and desire to, to set us free and to fill us with a hope and an assurance and a trust that we need, that sin narrows down and removes. So here in Exodus 32, the people of Israel make an image of God, an image of gold, going against the second commandment. You shall not make an idol or an image. And they go ahead and make an image of God. They give their gold earrings and bracelets and jewelry to Aaron. And Aaron, Aaron makes this golden calf. How big was this golden calf? There's a variety of thoughts, variety of answers. As the people came out of Egypt, it says they, they pillaged Egypt, that the Egyptians gave them so much stuff to have them leave. So the thought is they actually probably had quite a bit of gold. So maybe it was a, a big golden calf. Might have been different size, a little smaller. Who knows? And how bright and shiny was it? If you have a golden calf, that's a bright and shiny thing. It would, it would stand out if you had it maybe up on a pedestal. And how good was Aaron 
at fashioning gold. We don't know if he was a goldsmith specifically. Did this thing actually look, look like a calf? Or maybe not. This was a fairly quick project that he put together. In, uh, elsewhere it says, uh, as Aaron is explaining, he says, I threw the gold in the fire and out came a calf. And this <laughs> it's as if, yeah, he was kind of surprised. Look, here's a calf. So the whole, the whole picture is, is very uncertain, very, yeah, limited in its scope. And when you have that image, you have that calf, and Aaron says, this, this is your God. This, this is your God? It's so limiting. What is the problem with an image? It, it's God is, is so great and an image is so small. God is so all wondrous and powerful and to make an idol of God is to narrow down to, to nothing. God is gone and all you have is a, is a chunk of gold. So it's, it's very, very, the, the wording is, not, is, is helpful in the sense of you either have an image, which is very limiting, or, or you have your imagination, not in the sense of making things up, but in the sense of how great and wondrous and glorious God is. And, and our imagination can't, you can't even imagine Ephesians 3 verse 20 what God can do and how great and marvelous it is. So, so God is saying, don't limit me like that. That, that then you lose, you, you have lost the wonder, the greatness of all that I am, all that I have done and all that I continue to do for you. So that, that sin of narrowing it down, narrowing God down to a very small object, and the people dancing around that object and praying to that object and suggesting that it saves them when in fact it cannot save at all. Later on, in uh, the prophet Isaiah, he comes back to this, and I just wanted to read for you from Isaiah 44. I'll begin at verse... Uh, 12 here, but in Isaiah 44, Isaiah the prophet speaking to the people about their making of images, and it says the blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. And the carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline, and with a marker, he roughs it out with a chisel and marks it with a compass. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory, that it might dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or prepares cypress or oak. He lets it grow among the trees of the forest. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a god 
and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal and roasts his meat and eats his fill. He says, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. So, so you, the, the, the obvious ridiculousness of it. Verse 18, they know nothing, they understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, their minds are closed so they cannot understand. What can't they understand? The greatness of the God who loves them. They have a, a piece of wood or a piece of gold and they limit God. And so, yeah, no one stops to think, no one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel, Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such people are deluded. So there is a, there is a constant sense of, of the command being put forward as, as God who gives life, who sustains all things, who loves and cares, is so much greater than this idol, this image, a lifeless object, a piece of wood or gold. So that reality is there. God says, don't make an image. But what he does give us is his precious word. God continues to reveal himself in his word. And in his word, he inspires our imagination to recognize who he is and what he has done. And that is how we enter into and f begin to, to grasp the wonder of God using, using our, our imagination. And let me just compare it to a situation where you read a book, if you read a book, and then they make a movie out of the book. That happens a lot, where there are good books and then You've read it, and then they make a movie. They, they narrow down the book to the imagination of the director of the movie. So you've read the book. You thought, man, that's a great book. And then you, you see the movie. You think, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I never thought about it that way. And there's all kinds of differences. There's all kinds of things that you had in mind that, that were greater and fuller and nicer. You can, you can run into that in all kinds of situations where, where the book is so much better than the movie. The movie, very limited in plot and in storyline and in the details it brings. So that sense of our imagination is given to us by God so that we, we can enter by it more and more fully into who he is. How big and vast and powerful and loving. And we are called, do not, we are called not to limit him, but to, to let God be free 
to be our good, gracious, compassionate God and to continue to imagine what he can do. Just imagine what he can do. The Bible gives us permission to do that in the second commandment. The Bible is better than the movie. We have the Noah movie now. It's not what we imagined it would be. We go with the original story. Read the book again. Imagine. Imagine what a great and mighty God we have. Moses is in the wilderness. Moses has a whole people that he needs to feed. Imagine that God would open heaven and rain down manna. Yeah, our God, our God can do that. That's beyond anything we would think is possible. But as you, as you open your imagination, as you receive the God who can do those things. Joshua walking around the walls of Jericho thinking, boy, it sure would be great if these walls just fell down because there's absolutely no way we're going to get in here. Imagine that. They fall down. And they go up. And they are victorious. David standing before Goliath and, and with a sling and this great giant. Imagine winning the victory here. I don't, I don't think so. But God can do it. And the Bible continues to lay out over and over and over again, in situation after situation, God is greater than what we would expect or imagine. And, and what we tend to do, in contrast, is to say, no, God can't help me here. No, God, God can't work in this situation. And we limit God. Finally, imagine God the God of the universe coming in human form in a person called Jesus Christ. Imagine that. How, how is that possible? But our God is able to do that and to live among us as Emmanuel, eating and drinking and teaching and doing miracles. And, and even when you see the movies of Jesus overall, uh, as, they, as they bring the, the gospel story, yeah, but never enough. Never, I don't know, it's, it's always, yeah, Jesus was so much more. He was so much greater. And to read the biblical account and to receive again the truth that he was truly God among us. That's freeing. That's wondrous. There's a big threat to faith making God small, limited to some do's and don'ts, limited to our keeping some rules, limited to our little understanding of what might be possible, what might be, what, what among things that are really we think are not possible. And so, we need to receive this command again as permission, permission to imagine.
all that God can do, that he loves us, that he cares for us, and that he continues to provide for us in amazing ways. I, I was talking with Rick Avman the other day, and uh, he was just sharing with me uh, some of the Neighborhood Link stuff, and uh, he's doing a great job. He's, he's out there, and, and he's just... But he, he was saying, too, one of the, one of the things is people, people who are... He's trying to get people to, to take hold of this vision to go to their neighbors and to love and share it with their neighbors, but, but they can't, people run stuck. They cannot imagine that their neighbor would respond positively. <laughs> and, and then you're stuck. If you have a God who is, is just in a little box in your house and, and you can't imagine that, that he might possibly be great enough to to be working in the heart of your neighbor so that when you went over there and talked to them, that they might respond positively. If you say in your heart and life, no, that's, that's not the God, you know, I do what I do and, and, and my God doesn't reach there at all, then, yeah, your God is, a, is, is boxed in. That's, that's not being open to all that God can do and continues to do. So to be, to be more and more receptive to all that God is doing, to open ourselves to his goodness and grace. I think even a couple of years ago, it, you, you wouldn't have imagined that, that on that hillside in Ensenada, there's this huge three-story church with people worshiping there every Sunday with great joy and thankfulness. I mean, that's just not possible except that God can do much more than we imagine. And as our imagination, as our thinking, as our knowledge of God grows and expands and goes forward, that we also just live into that, live our lives joyfully, thankfully, going forward in faith, trusting in him. And he will do much more than all we could ever ask or imagine. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we want to, we want to fully, fully enter into all of your power and love. And Lord, even when we feel at times too that there is things we don't understand and, and that the, uh, the limits that we put on ourselves that so often just hinder and hold us back, Lord, we do pray that you would continue to give us, even in the reality of the wonder of your coming, in this Easter season, Lord Jesus, and forgiving our sins and dying on the cross for our sake. And Lord, to, to take hold of that reality at the center of our being and from there to go out in the joy and thankfulness of knowing that you are the God who loves us and that you are the God who provides for us and that we can truly trust in your love and grace. 
Lord, help us to go forward and that you in your spirit, by your spirit and by your word would continue to inspire our humble service as you call us and as you go with us. We pray in your precious name. Amen.